What's the word for games like Risk, where you try to take over a map by moving little dudes around on it? My name's Jonathan, and I'm one of the game gurus at Snakes and Lattes, and this is the Snakes Cast, the podcast for people who don't know as much about board games as they'd like to know. This week, we're going to talk about a kind of game we like to call Dudes on a Map. Yes, Map that... Dudes! Yes, that is an actual term for a type of game. It'll all make sense, and Steve's going to help you. And so is Maddie. Map Dudes. Welcome back to the Snakes, everyone. Please welcome back Steve Tassie. Hello. And Maddie McLean. Howdy. Map Dudes. So guys, explain Dudes on a Map. What is it? All right, so Dudes on a Map games are games where you have a map and you've got dudes on them. And you move these dudes around the map trying to kick off the other guy's dudes from the map. And specifically, and this is important, that map is divided into regions, areas, provinces, whatever. Like Risk, you know, you've got you know, Western United States, Eastern United Kamchatka! States. <laughs> it's not all like one big solid area, because we had stuff like that for a really long time. We had, you know, H.G. Wells' Little Wars and moving zillions of little lead soldiers around on a beautifully detailed sort of terrain thing. We had a lot of other things, but those weren't proper dudes on a map games. Not until games like Risk and Diplomacy came along and sort of codified it as being what you just said. Map dudes! <laughs> So, did you ever play this kind of game when you were young? Absolutely. I think it's probably one of my earliest game memories is playing with friends at, like, different cottages. And Were you a I, fan? I enjoyed them when I was growing up. I remember in college, I went out and actually bought a copy and was surprised to find out that, you know, Risk had changed a bit since I was younger. And mm, how so? Well, uh, it's it had these little arrows instead of things, and there was objectives that you could fulfill now, and that was oh, right, one of the Risk Revised. Yeah. And, yeah, we'll, it was very interesting. We'll get into that for yeah. sure, but the, how Risk has changed over the years. Uh, and you still play Dudes on a Map games today? Not as often, but games like 8-Minute Empire and Coin Age are definitely in my library. Right, and so my the family's micro library. versions of this. Yeah. Mini cool. Dudes, Mini Map. Okay, you just have to say it higher. <laughs> uh, yeah, I played a lot of Dudes on Map games when I was younger. Uh, so was it just Risk or other stuff too? Uh, no, it was other stuff. I, I started with Risk. Uh, I had a group of friends in high school. We played a lot of games together, and uh, it didn't take long to uh, migrate from Risk to more sophisticated games. We're talking this was the mid '80s, right. uh, and I would we went from Risk to stuff like Supremacy and Mega Supremacy and Titan. Uh, None of which are still in print, as far as I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, Titan came back, but then it went away again, and the Supremacy series long gone. I have a set, but uh, it's, uh, yeah. We can talk a little bit about why these games haven't come back <laughs> in the middle of this tremendous renaissance of board games that we're experiencing in the modern era. But um, when you get somebody at the cafe saying, we don't want something that's like a strategy game, this is usually what they're talking about, right? Absolutely, yeah. 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 This is what they mean. They don't want soldiers. They don't want learning about different unit abilities and chit management. And... I get the sense that it's not just about not wanting to learn stuff. I think there's a stigma associated with this kind of game. Am I, am I mistaken there? Am I paranoid? I would agree with that, especially considering when most people are talking about this, they're mostly talking about Risk mm -hmm. or other games they grew up with. And there's a lot of inherent issues with Risk that carry over to maybe taint board games as a whole in people's minds. Mm. Map dudes means map nerds. There's that. Yep. Uh, it means map nerds. It means uh, uh, 
betraying people. It means beating up on people. It means violence. It means killing people off. Mm-hmm. Player elimination is a huge part of it. Yeah, you wipe somebody off the board, can't play anymore. It's a big sting for a lot of people, and a lot of people just can't let it go. I've played this game for six hours, and now I'm dead. <laughs> and I have to watch the rest of you keep playing. Strangely enough, I don't think Monopoly gets the same stigma, even though it has the same problem. Dudes on a map games are worse than Monopoly in the eyes of that sort of player, I think. Monopoly gets the stigma in the reverse direction. The map dude nerds the ones look down Monopoly. on Monopoly they really for, do. for being a pointless waste of time, whereas they will gladly spend a whole weekend moving dudes around a map and think that's glorious. It's a thing. I, I, I believe that when it comes to the nerdery that's present... In a lot of games, dudes on a map games fly their freak flag loud and proud. These games are long, they're complicated, they're mean, they have science fiction and fantasy, they got your robots and dinosaurs and stuff in there. Tanks and jet fighters and submarines. They are oh everything my. that a certain kind of customer at Snakes and Lattes wants to stay far, far away from. And I would agree with that. And in this episode, we're going to get up close. All right, quick history lesson. This really starts in the 50s with risk and diplomacy setting the template of the map divided into regions where you move dudes around trying to control them. Uh, There were miniatures games like Warhammer, but those were more open-ended. There were dungeon crawlers and tactical miniatures games too, like Space Hulk, where you just have like a couple of individual soldiers rather than big armies taking over large areas. Um, Things stayed pretty much the same, with a few subtle variations on risk for a long time, and then... 1981, Axis and Allies comes out. It's a huge deal. Do you guys know about Axis and Allies? I know of it. It's hard to not know about Axis and Allies if you've been in the game world for any period of time. For the benefit of uh, those among our audience who are not familiar with it, here's the story. This is the the board game that ate more of my time than anything else when I was in high school. World War II, ideally you want five players. You've got Germany and Japan versus USA, USSR, and UK. It's a long game, not as long as Risk, typically. But still, uh, the fact that it's three against two means that player elimination is less than a thing. You can still keep it to your team. But it really opened things out in terms of complexity. This was a game that had a 32-page rulebook, and it came right out and said, this is our barrier to entry. If you're not willing to read all this stuff, if you're not willing to learn the difference between how tanks fight uh, and how submarines fight, how troop transports carry things across and let them off and can use battleships for bombardment, but not if they had to fight a sea battle on the same turn, and all of this sort of thing, where you're collecting things called IPCs, industrial production currency, to purchase more units at the end of your turn, which you can't use on this turn, but you can save it for next turn, and which you're then going to move into position to attack, and ugh, this is the thing. That is, that is what's going on in a lot of people's brains <laughs> as they hear that. This is high nerdery, coming out and saying, we are doing this. This is what's for dinner. We're playing a game where it's going to be complicated and it's going to be involved and you're going to love it because you invest that time and effort into it and you get to have your dudes being more special and awesome than the other players' dudes because you thought it through. You, can, you formulated a strategy that was going to work. And there was a whole series for this. There was Shogun. There was Fortress America. I loved Shogun the best. I like Shogun, Shogun a lot. Shogun neat. I played a lot of that, too. This My was... friend went as Shogun Tower one year for <laughs> Halloween. Uh, actually, here's we the thing, though, Maddie. cubes at him. It was great. This is not the Shogun that was a reprint of Wallenstein. This is the Shogun that was an extension of the whole Fortress America uh, Axis and Allies thing. Master had Game z- Series. The Game Master the game Series Master from series. Milton Bradley. This game had 406 little plastic figures. 
including a ninja that was like an inch tall and it was the most awesome piece of plastic <laughs> that had ever been invented. You could have you know, all these little troops with their yaris I'm and their peek at your secret stuff because I have the ninja. That's the thing. You had a screen. You had this beautiful Japanese screens, and behind them you would play secret bids for how many Ronin you were going to hire this turn, and how many castles you were going to bid, and how high you're going to bid to be able to go first or last. How many troops you were going to buy. It introduced a lot of things that would later show up for me in European style games. You know, blind bidding, hmm. uh, resource management, construction, area, area majority. All of this stuff really, for me at least, had its beginnings in dudes on a map games. But uh, these weren't games that wanted to make themselves accessible for a wider market. No, they were the very definition of niche games. They, they, were, they were exclusionary. Yeah. And, and proudly so. These were games that would just loudly tell you right on the cover, this is not for you if you're not into this sort of thing. And that's the very much the opposite of what you see these days. These are people who want longer, more complicated, more detailed games with different kinds of units and special abilities. And here's the other thing. This was around the same time as Dungeons & Dragons was on the rise, you know, early to mid-80s. Another game that was entirely exclusionary because you had to be prepared to buy a whole bunch of textbooks and learn them. Or at least borrow them from a friend and yeah. read through them. I mean, those stacks of books were massive. And I loved those books. <laughs> I, oh, young nerdery, it's such a thing. But uh, the culture was really starting to take shape as an identity at that point. And do you think that's where the stigma comes from? Is it, is it did, did we get hoisted on our own petard when we created games that were our little treehouse that you had to climb really hard to get into? Did, yes. we, did we do this? Yes, I believe so. Um, I used to be a teacher. And uh, I've always been a nerd and a gamer. <laughs> and um, something that I've noticed uh, in the world... People's first reaction to something that they don't understand is to say, well, that's stupid. Mm. Not, huh, I don't understand this. Maybe I'm stupid. <laughs> I don't understand this. Maybe it warrants more investigation and, and, and some learning. No, I don't get that. It's stupid. So, therefore, when the, the non-nerds saw people engaged in an activity that they didn't understand... Well, those guys are stupid. I don't want to have anything to do with them. Became the the reaction. And because we were being exclusionary, because we were getting into this thing that was so highly detailed and, and required so much of your free time that we were basically putting up walls that kept people out. And these are walls that are starting to come down now in time. in gaming culture uh we are designers and publishers are trying to make games that while pleasing to the hardcore nerds among us are still open and accessible to people i mean that's the whole reason that the spiel des Jahres exists is make a game that is interesting and engaging but also accessible open and accessible and welcoming to people who don't know a thing about games to to those people who would otherwise go oh that's stupid <laughs> and honestly that sort of image that a lot of us nerdy types have had of outsiders is in many ways just as unfair as mm -hmm. anything they had of us with our coke bottle glasses and uh, poor hygiene in our mom's basements well someone who was an outsider not too long ago like maybe five six years ago even mm -hmm. uh like it wasn't until i actually moved to toronto and got away from I grew up in a very religious household, and we weren't allowed to play Dungeons & Dragons or anything like that, so it wasn't even a thing. And, like, a lot of these games that were uh, the idea of science fiction, my world control games, like, Risk was taboo. Like really? it's 
Well, not overly. No, no, it's because taboo. It's... it's taboo. It's the guessing game. Yes, yes. Thank you, Steve. Uh, the whole idea of Risk being this game that is where you go out and conquer the world. It's just like, you know who else did that? Hitler. And you know what he was? Satan. So it's just, you know, these things that are just... <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, so that, that's stupid. That's, <laughs> that's obviously taking it, like, a little bit to an extreme level, but it, it's... It's a it's thing a that mindset existed that in your life, though. Absolutely. Yeah, this it, is it, a real thing. This yeah. happened to you. Well, not so much that, might. But anyways, and, the and, idea of, of this game that draws so much of your time and energy like we weren't allowed to play role-playing games because that was putting yourself in another role and that was wrong you should always be yourself and i was just like but i and role-playing games are tools of the devil as we went the the satanic panic rose right along with the the rise of these yeah the the the, the D &D terror thing that arose Uh, right alongside the rise of these dudes on a map games yes but um i can't wait for dark dungeons the movie oh boy Let's talk a little bit before we go about how these games have evolved to become more accessible to a wider range of players. So player elimination was one of the first things to go. Yeah, Absolutely, and rightly so. Yep. Player elimination isolates people, it makes you jealous and resentful towards gaming as a whole. And it makes you do the one thing that gamers don't want to do. Not- Stop playing the game. <laughs> <laughs> you, the game's not over, but I can't play anymore. This is fun. Oh wait, no, that's stupid. No, no, this 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 is one of those changes that even the most hardcore welcomed in a lot of ways. There, are, you'll find a few holdouts who will say that, oh well, real gamers play player elimination games. Well, you know what? No, I'm just as happy to play Nexus Ops where everybody's in until the end. We're racing to score points instead of trying to wipe everybody else out. You know, sure, I'm happy to wipe out other people's pieces to score a point as long as they're still in the game. Uh, things like threaded turns. One of the other things that was uh, really uh, a serious pitfall for these games was downtime. And downtime, in some ways, is just a softer form of player elimination. Yeah. You get to sit there and do nothing while everybody else is playing. Yeah. And seeing stuff like Puerto Rico, threading turns. Okay, we're all going to do a bit of this, and now we're all going to do a bit of that. That shows up in, uh, in, 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 in a lot of modern dudes on a map games. Even worker placement stuff will start to show up in games like Chaos in the Old World and Kinect. But uh, despite all of this stuff... You know, they know the balancing mechanics that prevent things from snowballing, shorter play times. Why does the stigma around these games persist? Why are there so few customers at Snakes willing to try out even the modern, more progressive designs that don't take forever, that aren't hugely complicated? What's going on there? I think the biggest problem is so many people don't think of themselves as strategic. Many people don't consider themselves to be smart people. And mm-hmm. for something that prides itself on use your brain, get engaged... To have that, that's a scary prospect for so many people out there because so, a lot of people are afraid to be smart and a lot of people are afraid of looking stupid. I think that's absolutely true. So many people will tell me, oh, we're stupid and I never believe it. No, I usually argue with them, but that's because I'm a bit sassy to customers. <laughs> not that I would ever do that, of course. But, but yeah, somebody says, oh, we're, we're dumb. I, I always want to say, no, no, give yourself some credit. You know, somebody, if you have enough self-awareness to, be, to know that you have intellectual limitations, you are smarter than an awful lot of people. <laughs> yeah, the truly stupid don't know that they're stupid. Yeah. Uh, that being said, we also get a hell of a lot of customers who the first words out of their mouth when I ask them what kind of game they want, say, I don't want to think. That's true. And it, regardless of whether they're intelligent or not, they don't want to think. Yeah, that's not what they're after. That's not the sort of fun. My wife, she's brilliant. Mm -hmm. But to her, thinking is not a form of fun. 
She doesn't want to sit down at a table and memorize charts and have <laughs> strategies and tactics and have to outthink other people. She thinks all day at work and and for her thinking's not fun. And it took me a long time to get that. Uh, cuz to me thinking is fun. I I I like that mental challenge that a game presents. It's playing with toys. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. Um and I also don't to me I don't care if I win or lose. Mm. Uh I I you know, I I play to win. I want to win, but in the end if I'm not the winner, I don't care. I had a good time playing a game. And so Yes, I I tried to think, and maybe my thinking didn't work as well as somebody else at the table because they won the game, but that doesn't mean I'm stupid. It just means I didn't win. Oh, well. But <laughs> a lot of people aren't of that particular mindset. They think if they don't win, then then there's something wrong with them. And so they don't want a game that's going to be challenging in that same way that many dudes on a map games are. You need a non-judgmental atmosphere for people to feel safe and able to fail, mm-hmm. able to lose without that stigma. And I think the, in some ways the macho atmosphere of uh, you know, that win-at-all-costs sort of feeling is, is in some ways kind of baked into the culture around these let's-beat-up-the-other-player style games. And I think another reason that there's still the stigma is because of the Big Bang Theory. Oh, um, dear. That show um, promotes the idea that nerds dig different things and that nerds uh while smart are still worthy of mockery uh and i think that the mass popularity of that show amongst mainstream audiences not nerd audiences means that people still have this perception that we're i am different from this person and because this person is doing things that are stupid i can laugh (laughs) at them and i don't want to be laughed at so I'm not going to engage in those activities. Even though, watching that show, I can see how much the characters love what they do. I still don't want to be the person who's getting laughed at for enjoying something that much. Mm. That's what I think. That's... It's difficult. Uh, in, in some ways, nerdery and geekery are about loving what you love unapologetically. Map dudes! Map dudes. <laughs> If you lose at a dudes on a map game, it is not a strike against you. It just means that you lost that particular game and you can get them back next time. So that's it for this week. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about on the show, tweet it to us at SnakesCast. We always want to know what you're interested in hearing about. Steve, Maddie, thanks so much for being here. Thanks Cheers. for having me. The SnakesCast is produced by P.T. Douglas. Music is provided by Ben Sound. The opinions expressed on the show belong to the people in it, not the company behind it. See you next week, guys. Game on. Okay,